Hello, everyone. Quick little PSA. I will be in Chattanooga, Tennessee, December 15th and 16th for the Indoor Climbing Expo. Use the code Mario20 at IndoorClimbingExpo.com to get your tickets. Come up and say hello and give a brother a high five. Some of the proceeds go back to the Global Climbing Initiative to get us back to Malawi, Africa to do more mentorship. And that is what this episode is all about. Hope you enjoy. Friends and enemies, lovers and haters, welcome to Sends and Suffers podcast. I am your host, Mario Stanley. If you haven't already, please follow, like, and subscribe to Sends and Suffers podcast. Every bit counts and we would love to hear from you. So take a moment to leave a comment. These go a long way and help others know what they're getting into and how good this show is. If this is one of your favorite podcasts, consider becoming a Patreon. For as little as $5 a month, you are investing in Sense and Suffers podcast. And it's like buying your boy a taco, hanging out and getting to know the good, good that is coming your way. Monthly recaps, early show releases, and all the other cool things that we do. Thank you so much for listening to Sense and Suffers podcast. Organic Climbing is the official sponsor of Sense and Suffers podcast. And if you didn't know, now you know. I have been using this company's products since before my podcast, since I basically started rock climbing. They're cool, they're rad, they're customizable. You can get bouldering pads, chalk buckets, backpacks. They've got shoes, they've got almost anything you can conceive to make you look fly, to make you functional at the crag. Check out Organic Climbing, put in Sends and Suffers at your purchase. It helps this podcast out and really support someone who has been supporting the conception of climbing communities since the beginning. Josh and everyone at Organic is all about making sure communities grow. And that is a huge thing coming from a small company that moves massive, massive mountains. So check out Organic Climbing, tell them I sent you. Let's get into this episode. Today, my guest is Kyle former climbing coach, teacher, and Houston local. This episode was recorded about a year and a half ago, so it's an oldie, but it's still a goodie. We get into what it was like to grow up in the 90s, correlations between teaching and coaching, and really just get into our love for the youth programs of America and climbing, and just two guys hanging out, talking about life in the 90s. Enjoy the episode. Who are you? Where are you from? And what is your connection to the outdoors? Uh, all right. My name is Kyle Shocker. Uh, I'm from Houston. I grew up in, kind of in the Cypress area. Um, I kind of had like a lifelong relationship with the outdoors, I guess you could say. Like I was in Boy Scouts and all that, uh, camping a lot in my youth. And then uh, it wasn't until college that I started climbing and uh, I've been doing it ever since. So, um, yeah, you know, it's just like 
one of those like suburban kids who, uh, you know, does a whole like YMCA, like boy scouts thing. Um, you know, went camping, hunting a whole lot, uh, when I was a kid and kind of, you know, grew up, uh, in like with the outdoors featuring pretty heavily, uh, yeah. in my like developmental years. Do you feel like that really set that for you? I, I've just heard like I was in Boy Scouts, so it was like mixed reviews. Like I had, I had a kind of a terrible time, but kind of like an okay certain time. So I've just heard mixed reviews on that. Or do you, you think you're out? You're like kind of it kind of became your own later on when you were in college. Uh, so I used like I got out of Boy Scouts around like twelve or thirteen. Um, mm-hmm. It's like around like the middle school age. Uh, but yeah, I mean like I guess it depends on like your, what your troop was like, but, uh, any, it was pretty easy for like any camp out to kind of descend into something more akin to like Lord of the flies, uh, <laughs> you know, like just, just boys pummeling, pummeling one another with rocks. Uh, yeah. just, I mean, it, it's like looking back on it now as an adult and having worked with, uh, kids briefly while I was, uh, coaching. Um, it's just kind of insane to me that like, they just, uh, we were sent out in the woods with like little to no parental supervision, like armed with knives and, and stuff like that. Uh, uh, um, Mohican stuff. Yeah. Uh, so then in high school, I just kind of like, you know, uh, still trying to, trying to like figure out who I was, what I wanted to do. Um, and so like, I, I don't know, I came kind of became like more like an indoorsy, like suburban kid. But then in college, uh, we had access to like all kinds of like free camping equipment through our yeah, school. Yeah. I so, know what you mean. yeah, we all, you know, it was, I was, uh, I went to UTSA, so it was pretty easy to, uh, just, you know, pick up some gear and like drive an hour and be at like any of Texas's great, like camp out spots. Uh, and yeah, uh, so I don't know, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, no, it did. I mean, we're just vibing and yeah. hanging out. And so you said in college is when climbing got plugged in. Like, what was the catalyst to get you started climbing? And like, what made it stick? A uh, friend. Um, I was home over the summer between, I think, sophomore and junior year. Uh, and a friend of mine, uh, he had started climbing out at his school. And he's like, you got to try this. Uh, so we went over to uh, Stone Moves. Um that's so that's where I first started climbing back in like 2000. John Muse's old gym. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 2006 ish, I think. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I don't know what your experience was like when you first started climbing, but like when talking with like folks who've been climbing for a long time, like the experience is kind of roughly the same. Like someone, like they find it and then it just clicks. Yeah. Uh, and Agreed. then it, it just becomes like, there's like no turning back at that point. Like he, like he just can't envision life without climbing. It's like a drug. Yeah. It's, it, it, I, it's, it's a symbiotic. It's like a symbiotic emotional and like kind of spiritual relationship, but like, you know, symbiosis or it's not symbiosis. Symbiotic is where two things live together, but what is it called where two things develop a relationship together, but they can't live without each other. Is it symbiosis? Yeah, codependent. Like if we're There's, looking at it like from a psychological lens, and yeah, that, yeah, that I think like I think it's symbiotic symbiosis. Someone will correct me, but one of those two means like, yeah, when you once you find it, you can't get rid of it. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that, like there are varying kinds of symbiosis. There's like symbiosis where both parties benefit. There's symbiosis where only one party benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's like it's your characterization of climate is interesting, and it like it assigns it some kind of like agency or like it elevates it beyond just like an activity and into like a life force of its own, something that is alive. Yeah. Know? I mean, it, it, I, I think it's just our relationship with it. Cause I think we project so much to it sometimes yeah. that it feels that it is alive. And in all reality, like it's like the rock doesn't care. It's yeah. an inanimate object. It's going to be there tomorrow and a million years from now, you know, as long as someone blows it up. But <laughs> um, yeah, but I think it's just like so much of us projecting our wants and it's very interesting. It's almost like uh, I want to say a mirror, but it's not, it's like a reflector, but like we project so much to it that it's, I, and I'm guilty of this, but I'd like, you know, there are routes or projects or things that I've been on. Like, I just have to walk away and I'm like, it's just, it's the relationship is terrible. Yeah. And people look at me like, I've literally had my parents be like, it's a rock. <laughs> you don't How do you have a relationship with it that I'm like, you, you just don't understand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like, you know, it, it, you have like a bad day climbing, things aren't clicking. Uh, it, it can be, feel like an abusive relationship at times. <laughs> you know, you put your, your body through like the training that we do. Uh, it hurts sometimes. You yeah. Know, it, no, it, I would, I'd agree. Yeah. Oh man. I, uh, I was just thinking about uh, something in this little moment. I always tell people who have been like, they come back to climbing, you know, you take a little hiatus for whatever reason, injury, life. And people are always look, I can tell when someone comes back into climbing in the gym and I'm just looking at them like, climbing is like a dating relationship. You ignore your significant other for two weeks. You tell me what happens when you come back. Yeah. <laughs> you pay the price. Yep. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, um, so your role, you work here at, uh, um, Momentum. No. Yeah. I did. Uh, I just uh, ended my employment with Momentum a couple of weeks ago. Oh, Uh, congratulations on your liberation. Yeah. uh, Thanks, I guess. Um, Yeah. Like, so I started coaching at the end of last summer. um, And uh, but yeah, so I was working for Momentum for about like nine months or so as a coach. Nice. And what programs were you coaching? Uh, youth, uh, so like the kind of like non-competitive, uh, mm-hmm. side of things. So I had, uh, as a head coach of two classes, um, there was, uh, like a, what we call, uh, like base camp. So that's for kids that are, um, I think around like, like elementary to like early middle school age. So what we're saying, like, like the 10, 11 to like six, six to 11, 12. Are they all in one? Yeah. Uh, so oh, wow, that's interesting. Yeah. So one of my classes, uh, the youngest, she was about six and the oldest was about 11 or 12. Uh, so that, you know, kind of led to like some interesting dynamics in that class. Cause you know, that they're going to be differing abilities. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I've run my classes very different. What, what were the other ones? I'm just, I'm curious. I want to dive in. And then, uh, so I also coach, help coach like a, a youth club, uh, team or you know, group or whatever. Uh, also non-competitive, but for like older kids, uh, middle school to early high school age. Uh, and then I did a base camp advanced class, which was, you know, that same age range, like six to 11, but mm-hmm. for kids that, uh, really wanted to be climbing who like, uh, had been, uh, recommended by other coaches, uh, to move on to an advanced class, um, because they're, you know, they're very coachable, they're very motivated. Uh, the things that, you know, we kind of look for, uh, when trying to, uh, you know, feed kids through, uh, 
to like the competitive side of things. So if that's not the competitive team, is that like the stepping stone to the competitive team? It can be. Uh, I mean, they compete in the USA. Do they compete in USA climbing at that level? I don't think so. Um, So like momentum like has, uh, it's my, my impression was that like they have um, like the youth programs and then like the competitive team and they both kind of like run parallel to one another. That's that's pretty standard. And like, so, you know, the uh, competitive coach manages the competitive side of things. And then we have a youth programs manager. Mm, The competitive coach is Ben Jensen. Correct. Yeah. I know Ben very well. All right. Good. Uh, Yeah. Good guy. Um, I don't know. He's just like a, like the Socratic ideal of like a coach, you know, like he's, he's very like calm. Uh, Every time I've always seen him coaching, he's just seems to be very like authoritative, collected. uh, Stoic is the word that I would use. I've I've known Ben for quite a few years and I guess stoic. He has a very gentle stoic nature to him. He like, he reminds me of like, the best way I know how to describe it would be like, he reminds me of a middle school principal from like the 1970s that went time traveling and realized that life is not that stressful. And he came <laughs> back. That's how I see Ben Jensen. I can see that. Yeah. He just has like a very excellent demeanor. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. He's good. He's I, good dude. I can see why he made his way into like the coaching sphere. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so like the, you know, the advanced kids, um, if they want and if their parents are willing to, you know, put in the time, money and effort that it takes to like get their kids to the uh, competitive side of things, then yeah, advanced kids do eventually kind of like matriculate, can matriculate uh, into the competitive team. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So we kind of run the same structure. Just, I have uh, a lot more separation in my program. And so we have little rockers, which is really designed for the ages of three, all the way up to like six ish Mm -hmm. oldest. And then we have another program for the ages of six to 10. And then once you turn 11, then 11, you're in this program called climbing club, which is just basically 11 and up. Like it just, it goes all the way up to as old as they want to be. And then we have team summit. And Team Summit is our competitive level, but that's the only program where I kind of run all the kids together at once, except Mm -hmm. I still break everything up by, I break everything up by ages groups because I find that it's easier for me to manage expectations for athletes and parents if I have them separated by certain age groups. And so that's interesting to me that you like run almost all of them parallel, at least the bigger ones parallel. I like, imagine that's like, I guess at that group, what is like, what is the purpose of the class at that point? Like that large group, like what, like, what are you trying to give to them? And what are you trying to get them to give to you every day or just in general, like the whole idea? Uh, I, so it really depends. Um, like with the, uh, the base camp classes that I coached. And so again, that's the, uh, age range from like six to like 11 or 12 or so. Um, it, like we work with, uh, co-coaches as well. Mm-hmm. So if they're, um, so you can, like you, it is kind of one of the things that I do is try and, uh, break kids up into, uh, kids who just like are there to have fun. And then kids who are like there to like, you know, want direct feedback, want mm-hmm. to get better at climbing, have expressed a desire to move up to an advanced, uh, level. Um, and so you break those, uh, those groups up and, you know, you, one coach can be giving very directed feedback toward the, the more motivated kids. And another coach can just be kind of like, uh, 
giving the other kids stuff to do, keeping them entertained, uh, you know, still, still providing them direction and guidance, but it's, uh, you know, less intense. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense. Like one of the things, like when I first started coaching, one of the things that I like struggled with was, uh, exactly that, like determining what my goals were going to be, uh, for a given class, uh, and trying to like reshift my own perspective. I mean, when I go to the gym, like I, uh, enter into a fairly specific like mindset where like hard work is now about to be done. Uh, like I'm here to train, I'm here to get stronger for the most part. Uh, so when I first started coaching and like would encounter kids who just, you know, they're just there cause their parents are looking for something for mm-hmm. them to do, shopping them around, trying to find their like activity. Like, what are you doing? Like, why aren't you training? Why aren't you climbing? Like, don't you want to get better? I don't understand. Uh, cause you know, that being like my perspective for yeah. so long. Uh, so, um, yeah, I get like, like I also have like a background in teaching. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I've, it's just kind of like second nature at this point to think about, uh, you know, coaching or education from like a goals oriented perspective, uh, and figuring out, you know, what it is, what is it that I want, uh, like each class uh, or each like what I want to accomplish at the end of each class or have accomplished at the end of each class. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, that could be anything from like footwork to, uh, I don't know, like proper technique, things like that. And just finding ways of um, in creating games and stuff like that, that the kids can play Um, trying, trying to find ways to make it fun for everybody and enjoyable for everybody. Cause I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know about you, but like I've had, bad coaches in my youth. Yes, very much so. Just like I like really suck the fun out of it. And it just, it's when you're a kid, it's very confusing. It's like, why, why, why it's, this is baseball. Why does this have to be so serious? I think it's like at that point, you know, and I look back at my, cause track and field was my sport, you know, and I was lucky to have a very, my first track and field coach was very good. He was like very just loving. And, you know, uh, he was just, that's how he was. Mr. Calhoun. I think he was Mr. Calhoun or Mr. Owen. His name is blurring. Two, <laughs> one of those people I did not like. One of them I did like. So we'll we'll figure it out. But if you're listening to my podcast and I forgot and I'm wrong on all accounts, I'm so sorry. But you're still a great guy. I remember he had like this boisterous mustache that was just amazing. But um, yeah, no, I find that like I know what you mean, and I find like the struggle with that is is like at that point you have to ask yourself: Are you trying to coach? Are you trying to coach? It's like the question, like, what would you tell your younger self? Are you trying to coach your younger self or are you trying to coach the person that is in front of you? Mm. And I think with most coaches that I think that fail or get frustrated or are trying to, and failure is a, a wide loose term, you know? I mean, I'm not talking about like failing at being a coach, just like that could be a daily thing or a sim- in a moment or whatever. But it is a loose term. But um, I think the thing is, is it's like it, kids are vastly more emotionally intelligent and smart than people give them credit for. They may not know why they feel the way they do, but they are very aware of what they feel. Mm-hmm. They're very aware of their surroundings and they are paying attention to you far more than you know. Yeah. And I and I think the thing is, is where I see coaches run into the most amount of problems is it's like. They just don't think that they, they don't, they don't see them as people like that. And then when you're just trying to like give them instructions, 
you know, and I think you, as you said, you discovered this later on. It's like some kids just want to have fun. Mm -hmm. Some kids are just here because they want to get better. Some kids are here because they just don't even know. They, they don't have the cognitive ability to critically think and even formulate. And they're still trying to learn how to formulate relationships, let alone sentences probably. Yeah. And so you have to understand that like realistically, these kids are just here. In my opinion, you have to understand that kids are there to do two things, have fun and engage. Engage is a wide, 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 wide topic, whether it's engaging with you, children, climbing, this, that, but just actively engage and then create critical thinking skills where they can actually like work through that and become better. Because I think you've seen, you know, you coach for nine months. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you saw kids slowly come out of their shell at oh, yeah. that time. And it's just because they engage with you or whatever you're doing or the inf or the lesson or whatever it is. Yeah. It's just, uh, I mean, that's like the whole reason anyone should coach, right. Is watching kids progress. Yeah. Uh, that like, that it's a very rewarding feeling. It is like, like it is. watching like a kid who first, uh, you know, I've had a number of kids that, uh, when I've like, they first came to my classes, uh, afraid of heights, uh, you know, uh, didn't want to go too far, uh, off the ground, things like that. And just slowly coaching them, getting like building the confidence in their abilities. And, you know, three months later, they're just running up and down the walls. Mm. Uh, it's a very rewarding feeling. It is. It is. Yeah. I always tell people the most exciting place for me to be is cheering you or belaying you or spotting you mm. and watching you do it. And I get like super amped, especially for the kiddos. Oh, yeah. 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 They make you, I find that actually is one thing too. It's like, when the kids are training and like, they're actually like starting to make progress. I'm always just like, man, I got to step my game up in yes. my own training. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're uh, like all these kids around you are progressing and you're just like stagnating. <laughs> yeah. It's humbling sometimes. Yeah. Cause you're just like, I like, I mean, they know who they are, but there are some kids that I'm just like, I don't know if you're ever going to get this. And then one day they come to practice and then they do the skate move and the catch and they do all this stuff. And yeah. I'm like, Oh, all right, back to the drawing board for yep. me. Like yeah. I need to step my game up. Yeah. That's... There's always that worry that, uh, you know, a kid asks you like, what's your max grade? And you're like, well, gee, I hope what the number I'm about to say is as impressive enough. You know, that's fair. That's interesting. I've always, kids have asked me that, like, how hard do you climb? And I, and my response is always, depending on the child, granted, yeah. my response is like, I climb five fun, be fun. And oh. they're just looking at me. They're like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm like, does that route look cool? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, I climb that. All right. And so like, I generally divert the conversation from that because it's like, um, I try not to do this a lot. And it's, this is something I heard from a, a, a read in a parenting book years ago, but like, try not to tell kids good job. Always try to tell them, I liked how hard you tried and how hard you engage with that. Cause then you're teaching them over time to like, it's not about getting an A plus or a B plus. It's about how much effort do you put into it? Right. Because that's the more life lesson skill than just that. Because, you know, when you're an adult, how much effort you put into your work is really depending on how much money you make or how much time you do. But yeah, like all the rewards that uh, we, you know, when growing up and like, how old are you? I'm 37. All right. So like growing up, uh, I, I'm 35. So, you know, coming up in like the eighties, nineties, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of it was, uh, you know, um, like my parents were very focused on like grades and, uh, would, um, 
you know, uh, I get praise from teachers for being like the smart kid in class, things like that. Uh, and in my adulthood, you know, what you or if you're a kid like that, when you hit your, uh, late adolescence and adulthood, um, all of those people who were around you, like, Oh, good job. Good job. Like, like just singing your praises at every time you did something great. Uh, they're gone. Yeah. Uh, very and then, much so. yeah. So then you have like all of these kind of like overachieving, uh, kids who, you know, did the AP classes and things like that, who are used to getting like the, like being motivated from like extrinsic, extrinsic sources, Mm -hmm. uh, suddenly are incapable of like self-motivation without somebody there, like patting them on the back or singing their praises. You know, it's funny. Your, uh, a friend of mine was telling me like in his office building, they still do a gold star board (laughs) and people lose their dang mind over it. Like it is so important to them. Yeah. And then like, uh, and they like, they'll bring their kids in for the day and the kids will see that their dad has a gold star and like both of them kind of go nuts. <laughs> and it's like, she works in HR and I, she's just like, I don't, I, I don't get it, you know? And she's a farm girl. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like, it didn't matter whether you got A's or B's, like, you know, you had to get up and feed the chickens or yeah. whatever anyway. So that's interesting. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, but I like that. Like rewarding like the effort or like focusing on the effort as opposed to the outcome. Yeah. Cause like if you do that and my mind, like you also set the stage later on and like, I think, you know, and tell me, you know, I'm curious of your thoughts of this is like, I find that like one of the most important things with coaching is not so much teaching them how to do the move. Don't get me wrong. Like you don't want to teach them to send the boulder. And like, I know what I just said, every athlete and every person I know is going to be like, what you say the opposite of that all the time. Cause of saying, I always say, and I got from my bosses, do you want to send the boulder or do you want to do the move? Hmm. And people always say, I want to send the boulder. I'm like, no, we want to do the moves. Cause if you know how to do all the moves, you send the boulder anyway <laughs> by byproduct. You just yeah, you one, get to one the follows the other. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but you know, and you guys are used to hearing me say that everyone. So I see you, but, um, that is the front facing side of it. So like, imagine that we're like in a, in a business, that's like what the customer sees, Mm -hmm. you know, I want you to do the move, not send the boulder. But what the coach is trying to do in my mind and what I'm trying to do is always, I am trying to lay the foundation to, so you can set your own expectations as your own coach. Because if I teach you to like, understand that like it's trying hard and it's engaging with it, then my question is, especially the athletes I've been working long, long enough. I'm like, I come down, I'm like, honestly, did you really give your most amount of effort? I mean, did you like try as hard as you could? And they're like, nah, I didn't really do that. I'm like, okay, well, why not? And they're like, and then it leads into all this other stuff. Well, Timmy wouldn't sit next to me at lunch or <laughs> this wouldn't happen and that and that and that. And all it, once again, like, we're just trying to get kids to be, I don't know. I always tell parents this and like, you know, not to get like NC 17 here, but like, I'm trying to teach your kid not to be an asshole. Yeah. That's really all I'm trying to do. Like, I just, I want them to grow up to be a successful member of society. But since they're starting rock climbing at six, they're going to be naturally better than me by the time they're yep. 37 years old. They're just, they're going to be better. Yeah. And so with that being said, I can coach them and get them stronger in little different ways. But the big thing is, is getting them to take ownership over their own climbing in a way that is genuine, transparent, and vulnerable to them. And I think at the end of the day, and it it seems complex, but realistically, I think like, that's one of the reasons why I say that it's like, I'm setting the stage up. So like they are 
they don't know any other way but to be blatantly honest with themselves with their climbing and they don't realize that they're doing it with me too as well yeah yeah like I, i think a good coach teacher educator isn't like teaching uh how to do one specific thing but providing their students uh with like the tools necessary uh to like figure out Mm -hmm. how to tackle things on their own in the future uh i mean like that that, you know that's just part of the educational process in the first place like you can put information in front of a student but uh true learning doesn't come or mastery doesn't come until they're able to like internalize it in a way that makes sense to them yeah i would agree with that very much so because you can see that happens like we all know that moment as a coach where like the kid falls off the wall Mm. but they fell off the wall the one time and they're just like sitting there staring at the wall and you can see that like oh they kind of get it Mm -hmm. like that like the light bulb just turned on like it's that aha moment or uh, a near miss is probably the better way to say it like when you have your near miss and you like you figure it out and I think that's the big thing you said. So you have an educator's background. Were you a teacher at some point in time? I still am. Okay. Um, so uh, I've been teaching some capacity for about 10 years. Um, okay. uh, teaching right now at a local community college, uh, trying to finish up my PhD. Uh, so which focuses on education. Okay. That was interesting. I was in it. That was going to be my next question. I was like, why I was curious. I mean, and, I'm sure this is a multifaceted answer on a lot of different levels, but like what made you decide to leave coaching and not try and pursue it as like a full-time career? Uh, I mean, for one thing, just like I had already put like over a decade into like what I'm current, my current career path. Yeah. It makes sense. Uh, like I am, uh, I'm ABD, right? So all but dissertation. Uh, oh, okay. So uh, I am, years and years into this. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like, turning back now. Yeah, exactly. Even if I wanted to. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so it's just, um, it got to be too much, uh, How so? between teaching and coaching. Oh yeah. So, um, toward the end, uh, I was teaching four classes at HCC and then teaching or coaching three nights a week as well. So like on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, I'd be on the HCC campus from like 10 to two or three, and then have to go directly to the gym, uh, try and get in some climbing on my own and then coach. So by the time classes started, like the coaching classes started at six, I was just wiped. Yeah, I can see that. It's a a work-life balance and like still trying to pursue your own aspirations and your own climbing is rough. And plus like I just... Um, like working with kids was like a fairly new experience for me. Uh, and, um, like I just, uh, like I, like the more exhausted I was, like the harder that job coaching was, um, mm. cause you, know, you gotta be patient with the kids. You got like, they're kids and yeah. like sometimes they're assholes. Uh, <laughs> and like some kids, like kids sometimes suck. Yeah. And uh, I mean, they're mean. Kids are mean people. Yeah. I mean, like if we're going to be blatantly honest, we all remember middle school, high school, and then watching them interact with each other. They're just mean sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, I, so, you know, and I'd also see a lot of them like, like myself and some of the kids that yes. I coach. Uh, I was, I was like, I was a, like a very sarcastic, uh, like, uh, you know, just kind of a, a prick when I was a kid. Mm, yeah, uh, and, um, you know, I, I, like 
I thought it was so clever back then. <laughs> and now, now I see kids doing like the exact, like the similar things to me and like realizing like, man, like every teacher of mine just like really, really, really must've been frustrated with me. Uh, or they liked you a lot and they just chuckled at it. Yeah. Uh, I think like it really depends on how you go about it. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it's, uh, uh, so yeah, so that like just, I was just tired is the reason why I kind of walked sense. away from it. Um, and I don't think I am as temperamentally suited, uh, to coaching as I am to teaching. Like I, I work better with adults, uh, cause I can, um, you know, I have, it's easier to relate. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you don't have to worry about like, you know, disciplinary issues. Like when I'm teaching college kids, I don't have to, uh, you know, uh, ask them repeatedly to like, just stop talking about poop, you know, uh, Fair. and the same way that I had like some six year olds in my classes, like that's all I wanted to talk about. I mean, yeah, I think, I don't think poop is a universal topic, no matter how old you are. It's true. It's it true. Really is. But I do find that the amount, uh, is drastically spent, higher. Yeah. Like that I spend <laughs> talking about it much more when I was a kid. Yeah. That's funny. Um, do you, you know, it's interesting. Do you feel, did you learn anything from your time working with kids that has actually helped you as an educator now working with adults? Like, were there some growth moments that you've definitely applied? Like, I'm sure there had to be moments where you're teaching adults where you're like, am I teaching adults or six year olds again? But like, has there been any growth moments that have happened from that? And that it's just, that you've been able to transfer over? Uh, I don't know. Maybe time will tell. Yeah. Uh, but not like immediately off the top of yeah. my head. I mean, like it, uh, coaching, teaching, regardless, like it, both uh, occupations require a fair amount of patience. Yeah, they do. Um, and it just really kind of really underscores that. Uh, like you, you know, uh, have to, um, like you have to create trust and, uh, kind of like a safe space for kids to ask questions, uh, admitting ignorance or admitting that you don't know something is, uh, not something a lot of people are comfortable doing. Uh, mm. and I guess it, you know, largely depends on one's background as well, but you know, it, again, it, like admitting ignorance and just, uh, asking questions is, mm -hmm. uh, is daunting. Um, and you know, if you create a space where, uh, you know, kids are going to think that you're like, you're frustrated with them or something like that, they're not going to ask questions the same mm -hmm. way in like a classroom. If like, you know, you're short with uh, your students or, uh, you know, just are dismissive, um, they're not going to ask those questions. And like, you have failed that day as an educator. No, that, no, that definitely, I, I agree with that. Oh, you just said something and it just like slipped away from my head that you're talking about. Um, all right. It will come back to me later. <laughs> It'll come back later. But yeah, no, I mean, I definitely can see that. And like patience is the biggest thing. And I think patience and presence, mm. you know, is the biggest thing, especially with coaching kids, you know, and like I do train adults and I do coach some adults, but never in a large group setting. Mm -hmm. Well, not anymore. I used to coach uh, adults in a group fitness and a group coaching class a lot. 
But I would say like, even then it's like the, the main difference between kids and adults that in, in my years of experience really is honestly, it's just their ability to, their ability to engage with the content that you're putting in front of them. Mm. And that's it. And then with kids, it's just, it's just not fully there yet. The ones that want to be there are there. Yeah. I think it's also further complicated just by the nature of like coaching itself. Uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, like at a rock gym, um, like when working with adults in a, in a, like in a, a class at a gym, like they all want to be there. Yeah. In most do. cases yeah. they've had to like actually pay extra money to be there or to rearrange their schedule. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like there's an intent. So like it's, uh, the, it's, you don't have to do as much to like get them involved. But then when you, like when you're working with a group of kids where maybe like two or three really, really want to be there. And then like the other like six to eight are just there cause you know, they want to be with their friends or, you know, their parents just want to have an activity for them to do after school. Like that becomes much more challenging trying to get them all engaged. Uh, and in a space where they'll be like receptive to what you're trying to teach them. So what are you planning on doing with your now more spare time that you have? I'm continuing to teach. I, uh, the summer semester starts on Monday. So, okay. But I'll, like, uh, well, in your, e I guess those classes in the evening, like, do you have more climbing aspirations, climbing goals that you're trying to reach or anything like that? Got any trips or anything like that coming up? Oh, I mean, no. you got a lot more time now. I mean, I, I imagine not, maybe not a ton, but a little bit. Kinda. Uh, um, I need to like figure out, um, I needed like, I need, I really, what I, my goal for this summer is to like get back on track with my dissertation and finish up grad school and, okay, and just yeah. be done with that. Uh, and then, and then once like I'm done, <laughs> finally done with school at the age of 36 or whatever, uh, then, then, um, then I'll, I'll feel like I have a little bit more time to play around with. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I mean, that definitely makes sense. Yeah. I just, uh, I can't, I don't know. I guess I've been coaching so long. Like I always, if I think about not coaching, like my immediate response in my gut is to try to like, all right, like what can I do to fill that time mm. or to fill that void that I now have? And like half of me is like, half like take it as a hundred percent my brain is telling me only fill 50 percent of it and leave the rest of the 50 open <laughs> just like whatever the universe brings your way all right that's not a bad way of going about things yeah i just think it's like you know i mean like just it, it, the same thing oh this is what i wanted to say it came to me now it's like um when we were talking about uh well half of it came to me but it's like i think the same skills that we use for rock climbing and like problem solving figuring things out kind of like not knowing what's going to happen. Your beta is not always what you think is going to happen. Like, I think those same problem solving skills, those like, cause as climbers, we're innately, like if you take the sheer act of rock climbing and you take of like what we're actually trying to do, uh, you know, and figure it out, like, like these same skills, these same critical thinking skills can be applied and redirected towards a lot of different ways in life. Mm -hmm. And I think most people just don't do that even within the climbing community, they just don't think about like really like redirecting that energy to something that you could usually like, you know, whether it's your relationship, whether it's your profession, whether it's your job, whether it's that, but like the same energy and tenacity and problem solving skills we have. And so. Do you think like you've been able to 
utilize what you've learned climbing like in other areas of your life? Oh, absolutely. How oh. so? Uh, I think obviously the biggest thing is, is I would say intent and like, I'm, I'm a patient person by nature. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just, you know, I just had to be growing up, but I think, um, the intent is where I've learned because I've had like projects that I've been working on and climbing on and going like last chance and going across the country or, and some years I get really far in these projects and some years I don't. And and some I send and some I don't. And I sat down and I asked myself a few years ago, I was like, why am I not like getting farther on these things? And then I looked at the same professional goals, some of the things I have, like I've wanted to, I've wanted to shoot a documentary for years and I have the skills, I have the knowledge, I have a lot of it. You know, I think certain things could be sharper. I certain things like that could be better. And, you know, and in all reality, what I've learned is most importantly, like uh, I, the, the thing that I learned was this is, and I just, I sat down and I thought about it. How did I get, how did I start working on my first 513 or 514? I got on the route before I was ready. I just got on it. Like, I just, like, I didn't know if I'd send it. I didn't know if it would work. And, and the same thing goes for um, wanting to, we hear you. I know you want to come inside. This little puppy for all of you can hear it. She's loud, so she has to stay outside. But um, uh, the same thing applies to like this podcast. Like I've always wanted to do one. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to do this, but I just never did it. And I was like, oh, I got to learn how to edit better. I've got to learn how to do this. I need to learn what microphones are what. I need to do this stuff. And then at the end of the day, I was like, screw it. I'm yeah. just going to like buy something cheap on Facebook Marketplace <laughs> and just start before I'm ready. And lo and behold, just starting alone was the biggest thing. And we get so psyched on rock climbing projects. We get so psyched. I mean, so psyched that we will, bro, do you have your passport? Do you have global entry? Okay, <laughs> cool. Do, do, did you book the flights in Paraguay or, or in like Portugal or Spain? Okay, yeah. cool. Do you have a car? So do, who's got the car to Syriana? Who's got this and this? We'll put all this effort and all this like organizational structure to just get to the base of a rock climb. Yeah. And we have no idea whether we can send or not. We have absolutely no idea whether we can send it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Truly speaking, like there are only, in my opinion, two kinds of like goes on a route. There's the ones you know you're gonna send. Like you've trained for it, you've already done all the work. Yeah. You've done it, like it's just putting it together. And so you know you're gonna send it, at least in that trip or put it together in that trip. And then there's the times where you're like, you just have no idea what's gonna happen, yeah. you know? And I think all of that time and energy, I, when I redirect it towards like my podcast or I, you know, I, I picked up my camera and reluctantly started filming this like little idea of like a little doc and a YouTube series that I wanna do. And I just like, I just like, all right, I'm just gonna turn the camera on and just go and start recording it and writing the script. And I've been doing more script writing and things like that. I have no idea what I'm doing. Like my, my, my script writing is like a Google doc of, of conscious stream of <laughs> like, you know, this is this and this and this and this. And I'm going to show it to a friend of mine who's actually a playwright or a screenwriter. Nice. And they're going to be like, this is, we're going to trash half of this. And that's probably cool. That's fine. Well, I mean, what I tell my students when I'm teaching like a writing class is like the best way to start writing is just to just start writing. Yeah. Yeah. The best way to start climbing, best way to get better at climbing is just keep climbing. Yeah. Like, no, like that's, I like that, that, uh, 
that you have just kind of like, fuck it, I'm just going to do it. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't have that, like too cautious, whatever, whatever you want to call it. But uh, yeah, I like that. Good for you. You know, thank you. I appreciate it. I, but I think as climbers, we do that, though. I, I guess I'm a cautious person. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've entertained fantasies of starting a podcast myself. I, I okay, d- then let's just talk about your climbing. Have you have you ever just walked by a boulder in the gym or something and you're like, and it's obviously outside of your pay grade, but you're like, nah, whatever, I'm just going to kind of get on the moves a little bit. Yeah. And you get 10 times farther than you ever thought you would. Yeah. That same thing, I, I think if we as human beings would apply that same amount of energy or at least that same kind of like, release of um insecurity or release release of self-obligation release of self-expectation i think if we would apply that same thing to different aspects of our personal professional emotional and social life i think we would get a lot farther yeah um i mean like one of the i think the best ways you can learn how to do something is to fail publicly yeah Um, that's so hard (laughs) yeah it is. And, then, and like, you don't want to do it. You, oh don't, my God. you don't want to make an ass of yourself. Uh, and then particularly like in this day and age where nearly everything is recorded and added to the internet. Uh, if you have like a, if you fail publicly, like that is now memorialized as long as the, the silicon lasts, you know? True. But you know, it's funny you say that because I think if you, if you fail publicly, you are the one, I think we are the ones who think that we're humiliated and that's that. And I think there are people have, well, okay. There are technically three responses, but I think two are the majority people admire you for trying Mm -hmm. you, uh, people empathize with you and, or they can relate to you because they've been in that same situation. Mm -hmm. And then you have the one jerk who's just like, you're an idiot for, for trying and everything like that. And like, but that, I think that third part is very small and few between because most people don't want to do that. I don't think they'll take that kind of public rebuke. But even then, if you just get out there and try, like, I think like, yeah, I mean, it's like being in a relationship effort goes a lot more like intent and effort in a relationship go very, 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 very far Just showing your significant other that you're putting in the work goes yeah. a lot farther, whether it turns out great. We've all gone on bad dates that we've put out uh, that we've tried to organize <clears throat> that we've tried to put on for our significant others, or we've had like, we're going to do this great thing and it turns out terribly, but the effort is still appreciated. I guess. I mean, I guess it really depends on what you're trying to do. Yeah, that's fair. Like if you put together like a very elaborate proposal for some, to someone oh, well, who's well, like that's not a, into I it. I think at that point you, you, hopefully, you know, if you're putting an elaborate proposal together and it turns down bad, like I think you should have known that going into that play. Probably, probably. But again, yeah. like, you know, intent and how it will be received. True, yeah. true. Yeah. I was thinking more of like, just like trying out new Mexican restaurant yeah, or something. Enough. Yeah. Fair you enough. took it to a whole new level. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think like getting back, like about like publicly failing, like I think we, as you pointed out, like tend to focus on how like blow things out of proportion and catastrophize and think that like, oh, like everyone's going to remember this forever. Yeah. Uh, I think the majority of people just don't care. Uh, yeah, truth. That's, that's true. Like if you, you know, uh, if you ever, if you, if you're the type of person who tends to, uh, like debrief one's day at the end of the, like when you're in bed, like, I, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done this, you know, like raking yourself over the coals, things like that. Uh, you know, you got to realize that like no one remembers, no one cares. No. 
uh, unless you've done something truly monstrous. No, know? yeah, yeah, no, unless you go Jeffrey Dahmer style, yeah. like no one remembers. This is the same thing with the kids. It's like you, the moment they get in their car after you just spent an hour and a half with them, don't remember you at all. Yeah. They just like, you're just gone. Like think, like think back to like how much you remember from like your adolescence, like, uh, like elementary school. It's Nothing. just like an impressionistic blur of like kind of like key memories and like emotions I can kind of remember having. The only thing I remember, I cannot remember the teacher's name, but I just remember she created this funny song in middle school for DNA, diroxyribonucleic acid. Nice. And that's like, I just like, people are like, what do you remember from middle school? Diroxyribonucleic acid. They're like, that's it. I'm like, it was a great moment in class. And I was like, they're like, do you remember anything else? I'm like, I remember everybody else I didn't like. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. For me, it was the uh, verb conjugations in my Spanish class. I had a teacher who said it to like a, you know, like a rock song of some sort, like, Written, like lip uh, nice. like sync the whole deal, you know, just one of those, uh, te- like teachers who just isn't afraid to make a complete and utter fool of himself. Those are the best. They really are. They yeah. really, really are. They stick with you, uh, what they have to say, uh, you know, and teach you sticks with you and generally kind of make a positive impression on you as well. So with that being said, do you, have you ever gone that far in, coaching the kids and or coaching the adults like are you is that something is that do you practice that in yourself oh yeah like uh one of the things that i did enjoy about coaching is uh how just like absurd you can be with the kids yes Uh, like talk about things that you couldn't talk about with adults uh you know i mentioned poop earlier sometimes it is fun to talk about poop with the kids uh because their imaginations are just so developed, like in development and so incredibly unique. And they have these very, uh, each kid has like an individual perspective on the world. And if you can get them to open up and share it with you, it can lead to some very like rewarding and uh, humorous conversations. I agree. I, uh, I was, when I'm teaching the kids how to read beta, I always tell them like, all right, there's a three-step process. You find the start and then you find the finish. You got to know where you're going to start and where you're going to end in life. And then... <laughs> Uh, and then I'm like, and then from the top down, you know, cause you reverse engineer what you want in life. And I'm like, from the top down, we always count the things that are only feet, only feet. We don't worry about what we, cause hands can turn into feet and we can use feet as hands, but we probably won't. And they're like, well, how do I know what it looks like a foot? I'm like, you see that little hole right there? Does that look like poop compared to that hole? And they're like, does it look poopy? And they're like, well, yeah, it looks kind of poopy. I'm like, do you play with poop? They're like, no. <laughs> I was like, yeah, the only thing that does that is a burrowing owl. And they look at me and I'm like, Google it. But, you know, and, but, uh, they, uh, but then they laugh and they giggle about Mm -hmm. it, but then it's a way to get them engaged. And I do agree with you. I say this thing all the time to the kids. Well, the adults at the gym always laugh at me because I say the most, they're like, you say the most outlandish things to the kids, but I always joke with the kids and they know I love them, but um, they're like complaining about a move. They're complaining about doing something. I'm like, your parents don't pay me to be your friend. I'm only concerned with your performance. And then they're like, whatever, whatever. I'm like, you want a friend? Go find Jesus. It is not me. <laughs> and the adults are just laughing all around. And one of the kids is just like, you're mean. Yep. I'm like, and I'm just like, am I really mean? And then the one day I'm like really nice at practice. They're all like, this is weird. This is creepy. Can you please be mean? Like one of the kids was like, just attack him. Maybe he'll just get mad. <laughs> And I'm just like, no, everything's okay. We're going to have a great day. And they're like, and all of them are like, we're quitting. 
This is just so weird. Who and, are you? Yeah, but I think that's the fun thing about kids. Like you can, I think also the nice thing about working with kids is you can kind of be your own alter ego. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you have to put on a persona. Yeah, you do. And I think that's the thing is like you mentioned earlier, it's like, you know, having to be able to give a lot. And I understand like from one job to the next and someone asked me, it's like, what's the most important part for you coaching is like, you know, on a rough day, I literally have a playlist of like some hype songs and some rap music that I listen to. And if I'm having a rough day, I play and I get hype in the car or hype right before I take the head and I take the headphones off. And then I'm like on high energy yeah. and then I can work with the kids because they know when you're down yes and then the and the mean ones will just t- go at you and then the other ones but like sometimes they like i don't know i think sometimes kids more than you're coaching they need your energy yeah that's the most important one of the most important things uh if if you're just tired if you're just not into it uh if it, you're kind of indicating to them that you are really just looking forward to going home uh they pick up on that and then oh yeah that's they, not cool then they just kind of like sit around like then like after like within the first 30 minutes or so the kids are just as demotivated as you are and it can be very difficult to get that class back on track yeah yeah i definitely i i've had that issue with the coach before which you know they were just i had to pull them aside and basically tell them like listen if you don't want to be here that's fine but they can never know that yeah they can never know that it's like like i think if you've eaten out in a restaurant enough, you'll know this experience. Like you get a server who just hates their job yeah. and hates being here. And you're like, listen, I, like, yeah, I'm not also, I am a snob when it comes to customer service, just cause I've worked in it for so long. Mm-hmm. But, um, I definitely have told a server, I was like, listen, I know you hate your job, but I don't need to know it. So I'm going to go ahead and ask for my check, please. Damn. You know? And it's like, I just, I'm not paying. I'm not, I'm not going to, and I would just rather end the service right there because if I have to endure your bad attitude, I'm not going to tip you period at all. Huh. I'm not going to do anything. I don't know. I'm, I'm far more forgiving of like poor customer service. Oh, I'm not, I have no mercy for it all. I will call you like literally I got this bad customer service horrendous in this small town, uh, in Texas, right outside of Fort Worth. And I, it was so appalling that I went online to the website, mind the website, mind the customer service, mind the reviews for a little bit, found the manager and the owner's email and the head chef emailed them. And I was like, I am literally sitting in your restaurant right now, this manager, this head waiter, this person. And I was like on shift today and I like timestamped everything and took a picture (laughs) of my receipt. I was like, I'm just letting you know, I had the worst experience of my life. And I got a phone call that night as I was walking out of the gym. Uh, sorry, out of the restaurant yeah. from, from the guy who was like, I'm so sorry. Your next meal is completely on us. If you please. Cause I told him, I was like, you know, I brought a group of 10 people. I had a really great time. And this, like this guy just doesn't care. Yeah. And then the next time I came back, the guy who was just totally rude to me was just like, he had walked up to me and he was like, I'm sorry for this. I was like, man, listen, I'm sure you had a bad day, but at the end of the day, you have a job to do. And if you don't want to do your job, just don't come to work. I, don't, I, was like, I was like, I don't need your apologies. I just need you to do a better job this time. Huh. And that's just how I am. I guess. I mean, I don't know. Like, I tend to be more, uh, like, I've, I've worked, like, hourly gigs. Yeah. Uh, so they, su- they suck. Uh, yeah. But, I don't know. It's, 
people, you know, people got to eat, people got to work. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't deny that. I just think that, like I said, like, uh, I definitely think that is the case. I just, I don't know. At the end of the day, I'm forgiving in a lot of other ways. Like, you know, like you mess up my order. Like if you're rude to me, it's one thing. If you're just bad service, it's one thing. But if you mess up my order and you bring out something that I totally didn't ask for, I'll still eat it if you're mm-hmm. nice about it. And I, cause I'll probably be like, okay, I'll try this anyway. It's already here. You know, if there's other aspects of it that I'm much more forgiving on. Yeah. I, know, I try. I try to try to err on the side of like, well, they're just doing their best. We're all we're we're all in this together. Like this, life is inherently absurd. I am not in this together at Olive Garden. <laughs> well, that's your mistake right there. Is going to Olive Garden. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I was just saying a generic name out there. I'm pretty. I'm a food snob. So, all right. but yeah. Well, uh, what's your uh, go-to cuisine? Do you have a favorite? Oh man, uh, I. I don't really have a go-to cuisine per se. I mean, I'm in this big thing. I like to cook a lot. Mm -hmm. And so like my big thing with like, the reason why I like nice food is one of the things that annoys me the most is when I go to a restaurant and I order something that I could have made at home and I pay for that. Yeah. Uh, I try not to do that. Like if I know I can make it at home, like uh, I, I hate ordering like bowls at a restaurant or just like rice, beans, whatever. Like I can make that at home, you know? Yeah, no. So like one of my favorite restaurants in Dallas is uh, Sketches of Spain. Okay. And they have this like black squid ink fish dish, which is like so good. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't make this. I have no idea yeah. where to begin. I have no idea. I was like, is this thing sitting in like some homemade super thin pie crust too? I'm <laughs> like, like it, it's so extravagant, yeah. you know? And it's, it's like, uh, it's, it's like paella. Like I really want to learn how to make paella, but paella is hard. Good paella is not easy. Yeah. And I've never tried it. Oh, it's not tried making it. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, also, also living in Dallas, you're closer to the ocean. So yeah. your, your, your ingredients would be better. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So I guess like I, uh, yeah, I mean, currently right now my go-to cuisine is Jamaican food cause right. I am Jamaican. So I'm like recooking. I'm like remembering uh, meals and different things that yeah. my grandmother made. And then, uh, right before I came here, I tried to make homemade Jamaican patties. Right. I do this thing called bro night, bro dinner night. Okay. And so I invite just a few of my guy friends over and we'll just cook. And I learned last night that I have to, Hunter, I love you. I'm so sorry, but I'm going to have to give you very detailed instructions next time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but like we, but the goal is I try to make a new dish every time they come over. That's good. And so you know, we'll just like divvy up the grocery bill and then everybody comes over and everybody has jo- like, everyone's like a little sous chef and yeah. it's fun. Cause we're just like drinking some whiskey and we're all engaged. We're all cooking. We're all doing stuff. But at the same time we're having conversations and it's nice. Cause we're basically cook this meal together, clean the kitchen, wrap up, eat. And then by the time that's all done, we've been hanging out for like two hours yeah. and it's like, they're done. Yeah, it's always so, yeah, but sounds uh, like that's a ton of fun. Yeah, it's it's super fun. It's real low key too because yeah. everyone's just like, and it's just the the food that you make ends up tasting better anyway. Like food that you make in a group always tastes better than like something that you make on your own. You know? Yeah, something like or at least it's like you're more happy birthday. To yeah, yeah, it's it's like you're you're a little bit more forgiving of like if it doesn't turn out all that well. Uh, and yeah. And you're like, it's a learning thing. It's like camping. I feel like yeah. every time I go camping, I, I'm like this world-class chef and really all I'm doing is just like grilling poblano peppers and that and throwing a steak on there. Yep. And 
drinking some whiskey or wine. And then I'm like, this is amazing. When you've like cooked it over an open flame, that's oh my gosh. There's something very elemental about that. It's also too, it is like, you can't eat enough after a long day, after mm. being climbing, hiking, running around. That's like the one thing, like I sleep the best. Yeah. And I eat the best out there. And the food tastes better too. Cause you know, you've earned it. Oh yeah. By far. Yeah. yeah. Even if you didn't send, but like, it doesn't matter. I, I think one of the best moments ever of camping is I was working on this route, uh, eternal oblivion and I didn't get it. But when I got up to the campsite, the moment I walked up, my friend was like, here's your suffer scotch for today. And I was like, I'll take it. Yeah. This is like the greatest thing ever. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's enough. Like, uh, like when, a so I lived in, in Boston for a while and, um, a friend came up from Houston. We like started like search for like some nearby areas to go climbing. Uh, just trying to, uh, there's this like uh, less developed area that we were looking for. We found, uh, like instructions on how to get it in mountain project. Mm-hmm. We just got like total ended up, wound up getting totally lost, uh, in the woods. But ended up having a great time just uh, drinking the wine that we brought sitting on our crash pads in the, in the middle of nowhere. It was, it was fun. Just like just getting outside, even if you don't even get to climb is is nice. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think that's like the most important part of it. Hey, guys. OK, well, you guys look fabulous, by the way. They dolled up. Well, you you look great. You you're OK. But I see the stall of the show is uh, doing great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This one is just like hanging out i've got enough for over here to make a new one <laughs> man so um so we've talked about like your coaching experience and we've talked about like your professional experience and i guess like is there outside of um well no 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 i think we've kind of hit hit all those nails so like i guess where do you kind of see yourself in the next like i guess like three to like three to five years. Like, where do you want to be? What do you want to be doing? I'm pretty much doing exactly what I'm doing. Um, I like teaching at community colleges. Uh, why not at a major university or like a big 10? A number of reasons. Um, for one thing, uh, like there aren't jobs, uh, the, uh, to find like a 10 year track gig, uh, at a research university like UT or something like that. Um, it's rare. Uh, and the competition is going to be very, very stiff, like thousands of applicants for like a single job. Oh, wow. Uh, kind of thing. Um, and then you have to get tenure based on like the books that you publish, like the research that you do. Um, and my focus interests and, uh, you know, reasons for doing that. I'm what I'm doing is, is teaching. So at a like teaching college or community college, you get tenure behind your teaching as opposed to like your publications. That makes sense. And I feel like that is a far more valuable use of my time um, than just publishing a book on pedagogy that maybe a hundred other people might read. And it's not gonna make me any money and it just, it, it feels very circle jerky. Yeah, yeah, no. I've always wondered that too. It's like there are, there are aspects of, uh, this is not the episode for that, but there are aspects of like, the, prof- the professional climbing industry that are very much that same way, like kind of, uh, as you said, circle jerky, mm. very much that same way. Um, when you move up to a certain field level. So, yeah. but we'll dive into that another day. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or that's an off the mic, that's an off the mic <laughs> conversation. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. 
So, well, I want to thank you for coming over and hanging out and talking hey, with no me problem. and sharing your experiences coaching and, you know, and, uh, I, you know, I'll, I'll say this, you know, I understand like you don't have the bandwidth, but just talking to you and I've coached a lot of coaches over my years of coaching and worked with a lot of people. But I think that just listening to you, you know, if you ever had the bandwidth, I would definitely consider just trying it again. The only reason why I say that is, is like listening to you, you kind of have this, it seems like you have the ability to kind of connect with a athlete very well. And I think you in a large setting as it, you did, you were like with so many kids all at once is was not as successful. And I think you'd be much better in a situation where like if they were divided into smaller groups or divided into this and you had an opportunity to build a little bit more intimacy and relationship with just a smaller group. Mm -hmm. And even if that group cycles out and changes consistently, the fact of the matter that like you, it would be a little bit more manageable. I think you would, I think you would enjoy it. If you ever have the opportunity to, I just say that because like I said, I've run into a lot of coaches and there are some people where I'm like, you definitely should not be coaching. <laughs> like you definitely should let this go. You should do something else. IHOB's hiring, you know, corporate jobs are available. <laughs> you know, there's other things. Um, but just listening to you talk about it, you know, it seems like you, it seems like you were just at this point where like you could almost like for the lack of a better term blossom or bud because with coaching you get to a certain point in your coaching where all of a sudden your river goes from being very wide to getting deep hmm. and then your experiences with the kids begin to fill the canal and so like, I find that like you, but you have to get past that threshold. And it's like, for me, it was like year five okay. and I got past year five. Cause at that, cause in year five, I was thinking about quitting a lot. Yeah. And, but then when I got past year five and all of a sudden I started understanding like more of what I was, what the kids were giving me and what I was gaining and growing and learning out of that. Then all of a sudden I just like, I fell in love with my job and okay. I fell in love with what I was doing with them. And I think the most, the thing I love the most is like the relationship and the rewarding relationship that I got out of working with them. But yeah. it, but it, I think when you're in such a large group and sometimes it turns into glorified babysitting, it's, it's, it's hard. It's really hard because at the end of the day, like, 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 it's this kind of catch 22, like the, the glorifying babysitting has to be there. It just, it's like, it's the yin and the yang. Like we can't get, we can't get rid of it. Yeah. Well, so like, which raises like a, what you're saying raises some interesting points in that like, uh, yeah, like I, I when I was clicking with kids, uh, and developed like relationships with kids that, um, you know, moved on to advanced classes, things mm -hmm. like that. That was awesome. Like, like I said, like watching kids progress. Great. Um, but like, I think both teaching and coaching uh, are similar professions in that they ask uh, a lot of like emotional investment. Like it takes a lot of emotional investment. It does. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about uh, while I was coaching and after is, um, you know, how we within the climbing community kind of think about coaching. Uh, so, you know, when I working at momentum, I was making like you know, 12 bucks an hour or something like mm -hmm. that, like far beneath like a, a living wage. Uh, 
And if you're going to ask like coaches to, you know, devote as much time as necessary to uh, do their job. Well, uh, the, the flip side of that coin is like, you have to pay them more. Yeah. I mean, this kind of dives into something that I definitely want to talk about. And it's like the pay structure of coaches, you know, and, and I have to give the very, I have to give a strong caveat that like, I'm very blessed at my job. Some it pays me very well mm -hmm. to do what I do. I'm also, I've been coaching for so long that I come from an age of coaching that I don't think exists anymore. Like I was a subcontractor for, a, as a coach for a very long time. And I was based on like what, how my kids performed and how my program grew and how all of that is really based on how I got paid. And it was, it's a different day and age, but I do fundamentally agree with you. The reason why there is a hard time, the reason why career coaches are hard and far and few to be to, to find even at our level is because fundamentally they're just not getting paid enough. Yeah. Like there is no, there is no career path. There's no nothing that, and I'm not saying that like you need to have this great educational structure or thing for that. I mean, I think there does need to be training and I does think there needs to be some kind of structure to it. But first and foremost, like you have, you have to pay someone a living wage for them to be able to innovate. Yeah. But until like that happens, uh, you know, you are going to kind of just attract folks that are there and view the job as like glorified babysitting. Or the people who are just trying to get a free membership yeah. and they're just trying to like weasel their way into a free membership and just get what they need out of it. And at the end of the day, the kids suffer at that point. And you know, it, this is where one of those things, I'm not in the big rooms with all the big wigs. Like, you know, I don't, I choose not to wear the wig, but um, at the end of the day, I think you have to ask yourself with those people sitting in the room, it's like, 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 is your intent, like at the end of the day, yeah, you're trying to balance your sheets. I get it. And you're trying to make money, but there is certain amount of social, social and moral responsibility that has to happen with this. And I'll never forget this, but Best Buy, when I worked there, their main thing they cared about was customer loyalty. Mm -hmm. They wanted that dad who bought this entertainment system, who bought this computer to have such a great experience that they talk about it. So that kid, when he goes to college, comes to Best Buy to buy this computer yeah. and this, and they buy this and they buy this. And honestly, that's why Best Buy's still around. Like they're still around to yeah. a day. And just from someone who worked there a lot, I think... They had, and this was in the nineties, but they focused so much on customer lineage and loyalty, almost to a detriment to themselves. But there are people who are just diehard Best Buy fans that would never shop at Circuit City. Yeah. <laughs> Circuit City ain't around no more. It you is. Know? And it's gone. And so my thing is, is like, I look at my program, the way I design it is a legacy based program. Mm. I look at it like if I can get a kid in at the age of three and keep them engaged and keep them growing and keep them happy over the entire lifespan at the age from three to 19, how much revenue am I making off of that kid? And so, yeah, that's just the money part of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. But like, now let's throw that out the window. Like, so let's not even think about that. If I'm working from with a kid from the age of three, all the way up to 19, I have the best opportunity to make them fall in love with the sport care about climbing as they get older, want to protect climbing as they get older yeah. and make it something that is sustainable and that is that will be there for future generations to come. The money, once again, just like sending the boulder. Do you want to focus on sending the boulder or you want to do the move? 
If you just focus on doing the moves, if you focus on really growing your community and growing your classes and growing your kids, the money will be there. The yeah. send will be there. I think this, like, I don't think. And so with that being said, going back to the pay thing, like if you work on creating a structure that actually rewards people and allows a coach to innovate and grow and make their program better, then yeah. it will be better. Yeah. Do you ever worry about the uh, uh, like barriers to entry of our sport and just the outdoors in general? Like in, just in terms of like both cost and opportunity? I do a lot. And um, I think that's like from a coaching perspective, I think from an employment and coaching perspective, that's the easiest way to get past it because you get access to gear, you get access to things that are cheap price. You know, when they do lost and lost and found sales, you can get your cheap. I mean, that's how I got one of the first pair of shoes I ever got yeah. lost and found sales and things like that. And, you know, shifting into, if we're talking about like barrier of entry for people of low socioeconomic status and things like that. And yeah, that's, I mean, that's a whole nother issue. And Linda and I yesterday were literally just talking about that. We're from the paraclimbing perspective, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, my biggest beef that I have with like, you know, I've worked with a couple of people in this realm and I've walked away from them because, you know, I say this with all amount, all amount of spite and tenacity that's in my voice from that, but I'm not willing, I'm not willing to help you be the great white hope. <laughs> and, um, you know, and they want to do it their way and they want to do it the way that they think is best. And what they don't do is ask communities or ask people who have, been in situations where like they can't do things that their friends wanted to do. They can't do it because they didn't have money. And, you know, for me, the biggest thing that I struggle, I see in Dallas is transportation. Uh -huh. Like, because, you know, as a kid, I remember it was like, I really wanted to join gymnastics with my friend, Josh and David. Yeah. My parents couldn't afford it. And my dad was like, we can't afford it. And I was like, okay, well, what if I helped do that? And it's like, well, we can't get you to it. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, and it was one of those things. And when I thought about it, I was like, I either have to not do my homework and eat dinner and go and eat some food and go, or I have to not eat and go. Yep. And not, and, you know, not eat and do my homework and go, you know, and it's always this thing. It's like, you know, well, we'll, we'll help kids. We'll create lunches there. Okay, cool. We'll have people help them do the tutor. And I'm like, still, you're still, you're still not realizing like they have to take an hour and a half to two, like what is 30 minutes away is a 90 minute a 90 minute bus ride, yeah. train ride and swap. And people are like, well, we can get a bus stop, like put right down the street for them. And I never forget this mom was just like looking at me and she was like, she's like, well, there's a bus stop down at the Walmart. We can just like make sure they get there and walk. I'm like, would you let your white kid walk from that bus stop all the way to the gym on this road, this busy ass road yeah. with no sidewalk with no nothing. And she just sat there, got quiet and looked at me and I'm like, yeah, I didn't think so. Yeah. So why would you, so you want me to do it? And I'm like, yeah. That's okay. And I, I'm not, and I'm not, what I'm not trying to say is your ideas aren't bad, but I am starting to say is the idea that the situation is complicated and it takes more than just a bandaid and it takes more than just the, it's just, it's going to take a lot of commitment and a lot of time. And I find that a lot of people want to get a, a fast fix to it. And I'm kind of rambling with this whole thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like obviously part of like a larger conversation with our, like, you know, having to do with, uh, you know, late capitalism and the decline yeah. that we're currently going through. Um, but yeah, it's just, I don't know. I, I often think about that. Like I, you know, my parents are well off. Uh, I was, they, they were able to take me to uh, all these activities. Um, 
and you know, I, and I'm sure you see this at your gym as well, but like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you know how much these programs cost. Oh, I do. Uh, you see, uh, like I, we had kids that would get dropped off by like nannies cause their parents are working or something along those lines and just didn't have the time, but they could afford a, na- a nanny. And so like, it's cool that like we're passing the sport along, but like, you know, it's not without its worries and concerns that, uh, for subsequent generations, the outdoors is just going to become like a luxury for a lot of people. I apologize. Next person who's, uh, oh, no worries. Me. We're good. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a topic that it's weird because it's a topic that I'm very passionate about and I want to spend more time and energy going on it. It's just the big thing that stops me from thinking about it a lot recently is like, I don't even have the resources to be even begin. I don't even have the resources to pull the right people into the room to talk about it. Yeah. And I think that's like the biggest issue. It's like, you know, I was, someone asked me like, who would you pull into my, who could you, if you could pull anyone into the room, who would you pull in? I was like, from the city of Dallas, I would want to pull whoever runs DART, city manager, uh, the head of the YMCA, and then the whoever runs, whoever is responsible for all the buses and the buses running around the city for extracurricular activities. So I guess whether it be the superintendent of all the local ISDs, yeah. like those are the those are the people who need to be in the room, and then those are the people who actually need to care. Yeah, and, and then. then then we could start like doing it. But like, until you get those level people in the room, like, like there are so many facets of this, like we just don't know how to fix. And it's just like, you know, and it's, it's, I don't know, it's this weird double-edged sword. Cause a part of me is like, why bother until we can get those people in the room. But at the same time, I'm like, we have to have this conversation to get those people in the well, room. Well, it's like you said earlier, like you gotta, like sometimes you just have to start before you're prepared. ready. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's, 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 that topic is just like so emotionally draining Yeah, and it's like, it's rough because the answer is almost always the same is like, there's no profit in it. Yeah. And like, but this, and so this kind of goes into what I was saying before, but like there is profit in it because if some of these, like, it's just a fact, not all of these kids who come in this situation are going to stay in this situation. Some of them are going to grow. Some of them are going to come out of it. Some of them are going to go to college. Some of them are going to make money. Some of them are going to create careers and the money is not here now. I think that's a problem is like your, you want your balance sheet now, but if you're running a successful business and you have, and you're running a business where you're thinking long-term and you're, you have projections that just this little bit of giving this little bit of charity will pay for itself in the future, but you need to not think two years from now. We need to think 10 years from now. Yeah. I mean, our politics are designed around short-term gain. Yeah. Uh, and you know, that's, that's one of the biggest issues is that, uh, you know, like you said, only looking for like that immediate profit in the immediate future, as opposed to thinking long-term, if this country ever thought long, I don't think it ever has. No, really. Uh, no, we're not taught to think that way. Yeah. Uh, like the suburbs kind of, and how they're designed around vehicles, like really underscore that. Like any, if we were thinking long-term, we would be thinking about how, what like cities would look like in the future and uh, perhaps designing Houston or Dallas around the car uh, would be, you know, uh, a thinking person to realize that that is just nonsensical or like in the future kind of lead to, you know, climate change, housing insecurity, things like that. Yeah. No, I mean, if like things were built, yeah, it's like, yeah, things that's like, 
I love Spain when I was visiting in that and like these little towns and villages, it's like literally like people live on the outskirts of the village. They still walk into the yeah. village and the town and like everything you need is all within this like easily centralized walking distance yeah. place. And even places that are on the outskirts, like there's still like, there's still everything you need around there. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the way European cities are designed versus how like our suburban blight. Uh, yeah. Oh man. Oh, we need to have another conversation about this other stuff in the future. Yeah. I'd love to. I, yeah. I, I would definitely love to pick your brain again in the future. I'm going to be coming back down and forth to Houston quite a bit because there is a massive climbing community and a massive outdoor community down here that I think, I mean, I say you guys are underneath the radar, but that's because Dallas focuses on Dallas. Austin focuses on Austin. And then very insular. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Texas is the size of most countries. So it's not like we can just like scoot down here. I mean, it was a short drive for Texas standards. It was five hours in traffic. I had a little bit of traffic. So that's added another 30 minutes, but it was a five hour drive. And I know if you're like me who grew up in Virginia or other people are like, you drove five hours and it's like, yeah, but like if you're not willing to drive five hours in Texas in general, then you don't, don't leave the here. state. Yeah. <laughs> I don't hope you have money to fly all the time. Yeah. yeah any, anytime you'd like to talk about like uh, uh, classist implications of, uh, oh, yeah, climbing no. and the trajectory, I'd, I'd love to. Yeah. Um, is there any shout outs you want to say hello to anybody or anything like that? Or, you know, you can go full ghost style. It's, it's up to you. Nah. <laughs> Friends and enemies, lovers and haters, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Even though it was recorded a year and a half ago, it's still timeless when you meet people where they are at that exact moment. And I really enjoyed getting a chance to re-listen to our conversation that happened quite a while ago. But what's happening right now is I am in Chattanooga here for the Indoor Climbing Expo. Use the code MARIO20, get a discount. Remember, portion of those proceeds get myself and Genevieve Walker back in Africa to continue doing work with Global Climbing Initiative and Climb Malawi. As always, if you're not suffering, I mean, tell me, was that sin even worth it at all? I mean, you gotta ask. Welcome, <laughs> 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 <laughs>